Hello, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. This episode features a discussion between yours truly, Misi Fairfax, and Melissa Burwell, who leads student success efforts at Carthage College. Melissa and her team are doing really first-rate work in helping to close equity gaps in student success and in analyzing data to customize the way they use early alerts to identify and engage students who may be falling off path academically. Thank you for listening today and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. I'm Misi Fairfax, a student success and equity-minded researcher. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you're joining again, welcome back. I'm excited to have on the line today, Melissa Burwell, Director of the Student Success Center at Carthage College to give us a peek into one college's journey to become an inclusive campus. Melissa, welcome and please share a little bit about your role at Carthage. Sure. So I'm the director of the Center for Student Success, and uh, we work to ensure that students graduate and thrive along the way. Um, We like to say that we help firebirds take flight, and firebirds are our mascot. (laughs) Um, We use a case management and holistic advising approach and really work to kind of just connect students to resources and to um, opportunities to make sure that they have what they need to be successful, both inside and outside the classroom. Um, And then I'm also part of our Moonshot for Equity work. I lead our implementation team and then also our coordinated care advising team as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for giving us a bit of that context. And and for those of you who are listening, um, Carthage College, as she mentioned, is a member of that southeastern Wisconsin region. There are inaugural region for the moonshots, so they're the furthest along. And all that to say is that Carthage is working to eliminate equity gaps in a big and comprehensive way with their neighboring public and regional colleges. Now, they're at a part of our region that has also intimately felt the effects of George Floyd's murder, Jacob Blake's shooting, and continues, like many of those listening, to search for answers and ways to address the inequities embedded in our institutions and in our communities. So before we talk about the journey your team has been on to discover and address these inequities, tell me a little bit about why Carthage, a private and a religious institution, decided to take on this work back in 2020. Yeah, and I think actually it it started prior to 2020. Carthage had begun to look at data in a slightly different way um, and was especially concerned with students of color and um, first-generation students and the retention and graduation outcomes that they were experiencing. And so um, we had begun to make some changes with how we do advising, some admissions kinds of things. And uh, I really think that the the seismic events of 2020 accelerated mm. um, that work. And so it it really, in that summer of 2020, we unveiled our anti-racism plan of action, which had been, already been kind of part of conversations that had been happening campus-wide. Um, and for us, I think it really was about honoring this desire to, you know, educate students to be citizens, global citizens, mm-hmm. and understanding as well the context of Southeastern Wisconsin and some of the the barriers that get in the way of students being successful and completing college. And so those two things really allowed us, I think, um, were really uh, inspired us to continue to accelerate and, and actually start digging into some of the 
policies and practices of actually what does that mean here at Carthage um, to address racism and sexism and all the isms that we, we know really get in the way of students being successful. Absolutely. And then just what you touched on uh, just a bit, uh, just a short while ago, talking about global citizens makes me think about the shooting that just over happened over this weekend of an 18 year old and just wondering about the education and the, the conversations that the individual may or may not have had. And it, it brings me to even just think about as we're thinking about looking to help our students and support our students, what does that look like? And I know as individuals who are listening to this conversation, I am part of the Moonshot for Equity Initiative. And, and so I, I'm quite familiar with a lot of the work that's happening there. And over the last year, Melissa and her colleagues, faculty and staff have undergone racial equity training with the USC Race and Equity Center. They also formed and continue to work across best practice teams as one of many that she's a member. And then with the other Moonshot schools, right? They rolled out Navigate and the student success technology to scale that work. And as we're thinking about supporting of the students, I know many of our listeners can empathize with the idea that we want to support all of our students. We want them to be able to receive individualized attention, advising and support. But the reality is, is that the sheer number of students that each faculty or advisor have or is responsible for makes it impossible, if not improbable. But at the same time, we know that not every student needs that, right? But we wanna make sure that our students get that support as they need it. And so when we think about when and when we provide and, and flag these early alerts and think about ways to support students, we want to know who and how we're there to support. We want to make sure that we've come along to the idea that there's a process and a technology that there's to support them in those moments. Carthage had reached that point and was ready to replace a homegrown system. So in fall 2020, they rolled out Navigate. So Melissa, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about what that technology looked like going into last fall. Sure. So in fall 2021, we uh, implemented Navigate, and it was really um, started with the planning in, in the summer. And we really decided early on that we wanted to focus on three key audiences. So faculty, obviously, uh, first-year students, and then staff who interact most closely with our holistic advising model. Um, and so we had identified four kind of key care units who center and kind of ground our holistic advising model, which was the registrar's office, um, student financial aid, um, our office in the Center for Student Success, and then the Aspire Center, which was our career services. And early on really involved them in the building out and mapping of processes and, and the training so that they would be really ready to go the first day, um, early August. Um, and then we engaged students along the way in the summer um, to test with implementation and then really trained key student workers. So resident assistants, orientation leaders, peer coaches, um, and front desk workers for those key care units to understand the student perspective. So even though we targeted kind of the communication out to first year students, we knew that having some key student leaders would help them get integrated and start using it sooner. Absolutely. Um, rather than worrying about having to like roll this out to every student, because that's just, you know, seniors, they, you know, they understand college in a way that first year students don't. And so I'm really kind of focused on first year students. And then for faculty, we focused on um, really just in time training for them. So um, from the beginning, um, training them how to log in and use it, and then the alert system, which was the easiest kind of um, 
connection to the system that they had used before. So the ask for them was, please use Navigate to submit alerts. And then some faculty kind of explored and started using other kind of features in it, but we really wanted them to understand why it was so important for them to submit alerts and how to do that and to understand why there were now more alert choices and the workflow for that. So when you submit an alert, what happens? What's your responsibility as a faculty member? Um, and then who are the other people behind the scenes responding to those alerts? And, uh, and then finally, we had a pilot in the fall semester with the progress report feature. And that was really intentional. We had wanted some key folks who had used, who were significant users of our homegrown alert system to pilot that new feature, um, along with folks who were part of our Moonshot for Equity faculty um, partners as well. And then some suggestions from our deans of, hey, these might be people who would um, be early adopters to try this out, to then give us feedback on the timing, did it work? Did the options make sense for you um, and, and be able to give us feedback to then make some recommendations for the spring semester? Yeah, and that's, that sounds right, right? Like it sounds like it was a combination of individuals who've already done the work, right? We're on board with the work in terms of with Moonshot. And so it made it easier in terms of figuring out those, the courses and those to go with as well. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to add for folks that they turned into a, a if they tuned into a prior episode, episode 91, or actually 92, uh, to be <laughs> to be correct here, um, you may have heard me discuss my research on how early alert systems may be perceived negatively by students who are looking for support, or that when and how early alerts, positive and negative, are used may be skewed by demographics. So that's kind of where we're going to start our conversation today and dig in a little bit and talk about going into that fall, in your estimation, anecdotally, before you saw the data, how did the fall 2021 go and what did you hear from students? What were folks saying about this initial pilot? Yeah, so I think um, from the student point of view, uh, what we heard first was about the system itself and how much um, several kind of sophomores and above said, gosh, I wish I'd had this tool myself um, when I was starting out. And um, and then they kind of were became more aware of the alert piece and that there was this additional communication. Um, and students, the things that we heard in the fall were that they appreciated getting a high five alert, which was this positive, like, hey, you're doing great. Um, and and they thought they didn't realize that it, that positive alerts were an actual thing. And so it was fun to get a response when we would send out a note of say, hey, I saw you got this positive alert, this high five. And they were kind of chuffed like, oh, I, you know, that I, it was nice to be noticed and recognized in that way. Um, and so, so that I, it did the thing we wanted it we, to do in the sense of encouraging them in that. Um, we also found that students found features in the system in Navigate that we didn't really kind of market to them. So one of the things that we found a lot of first year students use right away was the study buddy feature, which was kind of to find other folks who wanted to study. And we thought that was really interesting that, you know, of course they go in and click through everything, right? They're, they're digital right learners. They know how to do that. <laughs> um, so that was really great. I think in terms of faculty and staff, um, we found that they did what 
we wanted them to do. So faculty used the alert system. We had way more alerts than we had had in the previous year. Um, and the care units were able to kind of book and manage easily the appointments and kind of manage the communication for alerts. Um, I think on the less great side, faculty um, took a little bit of time to see what the system could be used for besides alerts, because there's so much more that could be there. And um, not all care units were kind of as consistent with responding to alerts. It was maybe happening, but they kind of forgot that you could share that information in the notes section of an alert and in the comments. So they were doing the work, but not necessarily documenting it, which is one of the kind of values of the system. That's right. Being able to share information. So, um, so I think just getting used to the that that step of documenting um, was kind of one of the learnings that we had to um, that we kind of came to in that first semester. Yeah, and I think it can be tough for folks at that at that moment too, in terms of what does that look like. And how do I interact with a system that I've never interacted with before? But it's wonderful to hear, as you talked about, our kind of our digital natives, uh, our students who are out there who are exploring and figuring this out. And it sounds like from what you shared, the that the positive, that the positive alerts folks were seeing, that students were feeling seen, um, that they felt supported. And that's exactly where we want to be with our students when we're thinking about just any other level of support or just any further encouragement that they may need at any point in their time during their studies. Now, I do wanna talk a little bit more about, because one of the things I talked about in my research is that when we disaggregate that data, there's a great deal of information that we can find that we don't know while we're doing the actual alerts and we don't know who's responding to them um, or how they're responding. And I thought what was interesting about what you shared is that you talked about the positive, but you didn't say about the alerts that might've come down on some of these other ones and let the, what their responses might be. And I'm sure we'll probably get to that, right? But but tell me a little bit about that disaggregated data, the alert data you pull for Navigate and also who was that data to be shared with and for what purpose? Sure. So, um, so one of the tools we were given as part of Moonshot was an equity audit workbook, and the coordinated care team had decided, and implementation team had decided, really kind of early on, that reviewing data after the first semester would be a really important thing for us to do. Partly because we had never had something that robust to look at. Um, we had information about like the numbers of things, but not at the disaggregated piece of it. And so we wanted to mm -hmm. make sure that we started using and building that muscle of like looking at data and understanding it. Um, and so we particularly wanted to understand um, how students interacted with alerts and appointments. So who was being served and who wasn't, mm -hmm. who was receiving alerts about them or not, and what were kind of the common alert reasons and and for whom were the most kind of common alerts about. Right. And so we disaggregated by race and ethnicity, gender, first gen, um, and year in school a little bit. Um, and what we found was that uh, white women received more positive high five alerts than men and students of color. Um, and we found a, dis a disproportionate number of students of color received negative alerts, especially as related to attendance than our white students. And those were the things that really kind of stood out from the data. Um, and the appointments with care units kind of followed a similar pattern that um, we 
tended to have more women have appointments and more white students than students of color than you would expect for kind of the, the overall student population. And so we shared that information um, in January, kind of after we had gotten through the first six months. Um, and we shared it with our Moonshot for Equity leadership team, um, which was the team leads, the sponsor for our institution, and then the president. Um, our Navigate leadership team, which was kind of that implementation and coordinated care team. And then we have a cross-institutional student success team, um, which really includes folks from admissions, residence life, dean of students, financial aid, the provost office, learning accessibility, athletics. It's kind of um, a large group, um, the registrar's office. And so we wanted to share it with those groups of folks um, to wrestle with what makes sense. What are we missing? Um, what do we need to know more about and kind of try and unpack? And I think it was helpful because it it helped us to confirm some hunches that we had mm-hmm. <laughs> about who was being served or not. That's right. Um, and also to kind of say, like, you know, here, you know, what are some additional questions or things we need to unpack that are specific to Carthage? And so I think because it's also a really tangible way to go, this is how you work to dismantle <laughs> systemic <laughs> barriers is you understand the data. And, um, and, and so kind of to see what are some barriers there that, that we didn't, we had a hunch they existed, but now we actually know that they do. Yeah, and the, and the thing I would add too, is that even when you get to this point, right, folks who are like the, the data review, then what do you do, right? The what happens next? Um, and then also what are the conversations that ensue? Because we also know that the interpretation of, of what is being shared can vary greatly across um, across groups, um, across campus stakeholders, across uh, hierarchies, it, you know, you name it. So I would love to hear about some of the reactions to the data and just anything, if, if anything, uh, if there was anything that was surprising. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you know, so we had expected that, you know, fewer students of color would respond to meeting invites and appointment campaigns. And that's what we found. Um, and then I, I think there was a hunch that we would expect to see more students of color. They would be overly represented in terms of alert of alerts. And that was true. Um, but when we tried to unpack, for example, um, the, the numbers around white women and the high fives, part of that came from this pilot. Um, so we had never had kind of positive alerts before. Um, but we also realized that most of the classes in the pilot were in majors that um, had a majority of women who were majors. So they already kind of gender wise, but right. the fact that it was white women more than women of color also is important. Like that's an important thing to recognize. So what might be going on there? Um, and I think part of what we, wondered, right? So like, where do women of color end up in majors at Carthage and in mm. versus white women, right? So for example, mm-hmm. the progress report, we had a, had several education majors related classes, which tend to have more white women than women of color. So there's some of that of kind of unpacking the reality of what 
of kind of where students end up, um, which was part of the reason in the spring we chose to um, try and broaden the type of classes in our progress report pilot. And so we'll have to find out if, if that helps to kind of correct some of that or it's still true. It doesn't matter kind of the major related courses um, if it, you know, if it's more, still continues to be more white women giving, getting those high fives. I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, I think it's, that's very interesting as well, because when folks are looking at the data, you bring up a very good point about looking at the share of population or the share of those students actually in those classes. Mm -hmm. And it brings up another point as we're thinking about kind of the dearth and we think about the long view of what's happening in our education system. What about the, the pathway um, for more women of color, males of color to become education teachers, um, to go into those pathways as well? So we have to, there's other conversations, it sounds like, in terms of just the alert data that goes into the classrooms, that goes into the majors, that gives you some other ways that we may be helping um, our students. We may not know what's going on with our students, or there may be ways to kind of bridge and think about the conversations among those those classrooms or what's happening and how they choose those majors. The, but the one thing I wanted to bring up though, and wanted to ask you a little bit more about is, is about the white women getting flagged, um, getting these positive alerts and just wondering culturally what that may look like or how we might've thought about diversity in the past. This isn't necessarily a, a question to answer, but one also even for our listeners to think about in terms of what had we thought about uh, being diversity. So even here at EAB, when we think about the diversity that we've done prior to 2020, it was for women and it was increasing the number of women here, but it was also skewed towards white women. So it's how do we determine and make sure that as we're trying to support many of our students and much more of our, our students, that those, those um, data points, that those are captured and we have converse, continuing conversations about that, which sounds like that's happening at Carthage as well. The other thing I wanted to talk about, though, is that you talked about that there was the expectation, and I think that's real, right, in terms of the research that there's going to be less response rates from, from um, students of color in terms of coming to these appointments. Where and how or what are the ways in which your team may be looking at how to make it kind of familial or, or make sure that there is a connection with that student prior to those alerts coming out? Yeah, so I think one of the things we've really learned so a couple things. So um, because we assign uh, caseloads of every student gets in our office, at least a student success advisor from before they start kind of in the summer leading up, that those initial meetings are super important to just establish a relationship and to normalize that you hear from us, not just when something's gone wrong, <laughs> but that you should expect that you're gonna get every so often um, an email or a text, or we're just gonna check in because we wanna hear the good stuff and that it's it's not always about, you know, you need to change your behavior in some way, <laughs> right? And so I think, um, and especially being at a smaller private institution, that's even more critical in, in the classroom as well, that students learn to expect that they're going to hear from their faculty, that they're going to hear from other folks across campus. Um, and so we talk about the holistic advising model, that you have this team of folks assigned to you to work with you, and you're going to hear from us 
in different ways at different times. And so normalizing that and communicating that, and we all know students need to hear things multiple times in multiple ways and having mm-hmm. that shared messaging, I think really plays an important part. One of the questions that we ask in our survey to students um, in the, in the spring semester was, do you only hear from your student success advisor when something bad happens? Like, uh, you know, like how much do you one. agree with that? Right. And what yeah. we hear is like, no, that's not true for them. They hear about, they hear from them more, you know, not just when things are going wrong. And so, um, so I think that's really important to kind of have multiple folks across campus sharing that messaging and kind of living that out. Um, and then I think too, just having real kind of consistent, shared, um, being intentional about what does messaging look like with the alerts and kind of, you know, what we try really intentionally and we've had, we've shared the messaging, like we've had multiple folks look at it when we have those automated responses of really trying to, to uh, communicate to students that there's still time, you have a chance, this is an opportunity, we wanna work with you. There's, there's still room for you to, to you know, be successful in this class or be successful this semester. And we're here to help you because we know you can do it. So writing those messages in that way, I think also kind of helps helps to um, communicate to students that yes, you maybe got an alert or a notification, but even calling it a notification versus an alert um, mm-hmm. helps them to, you know, helps in that understanding. Now, when you're getting up to students who've had like seven, eight alerts in a semester, we also know they know what they need to do. And for a lot of reasons, they maybe have just decided either this class or this semester, I just need to pause and and kind of take care of my own things before I kind of come back. And so um, I, we really take the approach of wanting to keep the door open as long as possible. And so um, it's okay that we're we kind of keep giving those messages to students because eventually we trust that they know, okay, that's the person when I'm ready to come back, mm-hmm. I can reach out to. And so um, so even if we do get unresponsive students, you never know if that 10th time, that's the time. So. Well, and I love that because that's never giving up on the student. And I think that's what we've heard about for many of students when we're even thinking about those who want to re-enroll and are just trying to find what that pathway would be back to either your institution or to another institution. Sure. And one of the things that I wanted to circle back to, because we were talking about the work of the advisors, but I wanted to circle back to the work of, of the faculty, mm-hmm. uh, because we know that's where they spend the bulk of their classroom time. And there is, there has been some conversation, but maybe not, maybe not enough conversation about what it looks like about how, when, and how they levy these, um, these alerts or these notifications with students. So I would, would be curious just to have your thoughts of how do we help faculty recognize and correct maybe the problem before they let bias affect the way they communicate with or make assumptions about different students? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it has helped tremendously for for me and for us to have faculty on our moonshot committees. Mm -hmm. So getting into the implementation, they have really helped us to frame even how we talk about alerts with faculty and kind of make sense of it. So being able to have that cadre of folks to be able to say, here's what we have learned about. So one of our um, faculty who's on our moonshot 
committee, I don't know, it was probably in March. Um, we had had, you know, there were lots of concerns about students struggling with mental health. And she sent a note to faculty saying, hey, don't forget, one of the things you can do is to give good feed, you know, positive feedback to students. And she did it on her own of just saying, hey, you know, think about giving positive feedback through the Navigate High Five Alert as a way to to notice students and to recognize them. And so that has that was just an example of, because she had been equipped with the information, had been part mm -hmm. of the conversation, and she was hearing the faculty conversation about being concerned about students, saying this is a way that we can address some of those concerns as faculty, that's kind of easy, low-hanging fruit. And so I think for faculty, that has been part of it. I think the other mm -hmm. thing that was really helpful is that the start of the year, um, Tim Rennick visited um, from Georgia State and was really able to talk specifically to faculty about this work for Moonshot and to help them kind of translate the conversation about institutional commitment to equity. What does that mean as a faculty member? And connect that to the Navigate work that we've been doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to really have then multiple conversations in the fall and in the spring, you know, we have provided some updates to deans and department chairs so that they then can go and have those conversations among faculty about how does this show up in your classroom, right? So, mm -hmm. so part of it is sharing that. I will say as well, one of the other things that has been interesting to me is that we also have gotten feedback that um, folks aren't sure if faculty are ready to have all the disaggregated data. Um, mm. And so, so mm -hmm. thinking about how we frame that, so we, we're still kind of working through some of that, but how do you frame that for faculty so that it doesn't uh, affirm some of those biases about what they think about Black and Brown students, right? And so thinking mm -hmm. about how to do that um, as an institution, I think we're still working to figure that out. Um, so there's there's progress on one hand, but then also there are moments where we have to pause and really go, okay, so what does this mean? And as, as someone who's not a faculty member, I really have to rely on faculty and others who are part of the our work to move that forward. But I think what we do in, is be able to say, well, here's what we're seeing. What does this mean for you? Um, in a way that because we didn't have that connection before, we might have seen that, but we had no way, no real kind of clear shared responsibility. And now we do through this work. Yeah, and I, that's an important part that I, I want to just double down on, that even as we're doing this institutional equity work, there's still individual work that needs to happen. And there's support for that work too, because it begs us the question about what type of behavior are our faculty drawn to? Who catches their attention just because of the way they look or the way they act in these classes? And, and is it a, the, a correct representation? For many, it may be. For others, it may not be. And I think those are a lot of the questions that many of our listeners will continue to have and to think about. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, I know that you've made some changes uh, in terms of, of what has happened and what has taken place across this last year and that it continues to be a, a learning, almost like a learning lab um, in, in real time as you're doing this work. So I would just love to hear about what were some of the changes that you were able to make for students across the alerts and appointments? 
Sure. So one of the um, one of the big ones was with the attendance alerts. Um, we have like three: so excessive attendance, missing one or two, and then changes in attendance behavior. And we had realized that a lot of you know, so we had a disproportionate number of students of color receive kind of those attendance alerts. And then um, when we looked back at it, we also realized that the timing was a little bit off. So we got a bunch of excessive alerts before we had done our enrollment census, which, you know, it could be that we, the timing of it, if we had waited after that, would we have gotten a different outcome? So that was one thing. Also, mm. you know, you have to unpack that. Is it, why did students of color get more of those? Is it because at a PWI, it's just a little bit more, oh, students of color stand out in a way. And That's so you right. notice when they're not there, right? So That's let's, right. <laughs> you have to kind of unpack that. So for spring, we decided let's know what absence alerts until after the census kind of enrollment census has been done. And then on the back end, um, we have a, a late withdrawal deadline. And we also found more students of color had more of those recommend to withdraw from a class, which is another con- is another kind of interesting thing. That's right. So we waited um, and drew the line at once that deadline passed, faculty could not choose to recommend a student to withdraw from a class. And so we so we're interested to see this spring what happened. Do we see did the did that correct it or not? Um, and I don't know at this point in time, but that's our hope in that we. We didn't, that we kind of got the outcome we were looking for. Um, Some other, we added some other high five alerts. um, And then one that came kind of halfway through, right around um, advising for fall, is that a faculty member said, you know, Melissa, it would be really great if there was an advising no response because students didn't sign up for their advising appointments. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. that's a super easy one to change. Like, so faculty now feel like, oh, this actually would be helpful. And what's interesting to me is, so that was one faculty. And I said, okay, well, just let, let other people know. And sure enough, people found that alert without us having to tell them to use it for that purpose. (laughs) Um, And so I think, you know, just being able, that kind of organic as people are using it saying, hey, I think this would be helpful to me and it will bring in other people. So the part of the advising no response allowed us to then find the folks who that student knows really well. And it helped us to uncover some students who are interested in transferring, um, students who are kind of maybe thinking about withdrawing, but not sure. So sooner rather than later. Um, And so I'll be interested to see kind of when we disaggregate what that looks like as well. Yeah. And and as you're getting from Melissa as well, this is a journey that is like perpetual, right? We will continue to, they will continue to reiterate and have conversations with their teams. Um, the last thing I want to, to, to bring up and note and tell you to kind of continue to follow and see what this will look like at Carthage College is a, a larger conversation that came out of this about, and I think it's just worthy to, to bring up for folks here about attendance policies. Mm-hmm. Now we have gone through a number a number of years, right, where we've allowed them to be online. And there's been attendance in some ways, but attendance 
isn't necessarily a universal policy across faculty member or even part, maybe partly a graded policy or may not. But yet this is another area which begs to ask the question about when and how should attendance be, be utilized? Is it necessary as we think about international students uh, come from other countries where that's not attendance taking isn't necessarily a thing? You just think about a better ways to understand and to, to view um, holistically what looks like student disengagement and is it actual disengagement as well? And so, you know, I'm going to... We've had so much to say and there's so much more to say. So there's, I just wanna encourage folks, we will uh, continue uh, with our with our conversation with Carthage in many different ways over the next year. So uh, look for that on eab.com. But I wanna make sure to say lastly to Melissa that this wasn't necessarily a rock that your team was looking to overturn when you joined. Um, what are a few takeaways or advice you would have for student success leaders to ensure that your student alert system is helping and not potentially triggering students? Yeah, so I think um, what's really been helpful for us is having faculty champions who are also critical friends. So being able to kind of help have the conversation together about making meaning out of that disaggregated data, um, that it is an iterative organic process um, and that it's okay to change things mid midstream. So like you don't have to wait until the end of the year to change things if you, Mm -hmm. see it not working um, or that it's not doing the, it's not doing the thing that you want it to do essentially. And I think too, that a lot of what we've learned this year is that it just takes time to have conversation with one another and to wrestle with it. And especially with the pandemic and the last couple of years, that's been really hard to do. But I think as we have had more opportunity to come together around these questions and to say, this is what I see, this has been my experience, what's your experience with students? It also, um, you, it just does take the time of having conversation together and kind of swirling with it um, that really begins to make change happen. Well, thank you for that, Melissa. And you heard it here in terms of those continued conversations that we should have as student success leaders to ensure that we don't miss those connections with our students. Mm -hmm. And as I said just a short while ago, we look forward to sharing Carthage's continued work and future podcasts. If you want to learn more about my research misconnections, there'll be a link on the podcast page, as well as a link to learn more about the moonshot if you want to learn about that. But I just want to thank Melissa for joining us again on Offers Hours. Uh, for EAB. It's been a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> Thank you. It's been great. <laughs>